What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Oh yeah, by the way, in the last hotel, the guy that was serving the evening, evening dinner told me, Sir, you have the voice of a movie star. I said, well... Uh, what type of movies? Because there is dirty movies also. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did not precise, but anyway. <laughs> that would have been perfect for yeah, the podcast. Have been recording. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And today in studio, we have my friend, mentor and master coach to many, Mr. Bart Bellin. Welcome, Bart. Hi. Great to have you in studio. We've been talking about it for quite some time now, hoping to get you in. We have. I know you, it's probably been a surprise to you, but hopefully that's a good surprise. But yeah, we're honoured and privileged to have you here today. I know you're a very busy guy and you've been in... Melbourne with Pat running your gold school down there and now subsequently you're up in Sydney doing your silver school which both of us have done and a lot of people around Australia have come and done with you including civilians and military and police and for me it's been a very eye-opening journey and I know that a lot of colleagues in the industry that I've spoken to have felt exactly the same way as well. That's good to hear. Yeah (laughs) we think so. Well so what we wanted to talk about today was just a, a little bit of your history how you came to be that you got into training dogs talk a little bit about your dogs and the journey to there and eventually developing the the Nipopo system. Yeah, I think day one, like when it made sense to you that you wanted to become a trainer, like what was it? I think that day one, you must go back to my roots and that was in Africa. It seems that when I was born a few months and my family did buy, purchase a little street dog named Lucky. And maybe by coincidence, by growing up with that dog, it created something, but not consciously. You are not aware of it. And then by growing up in Africa as a young kid, you must know there was no internet. There was nothing. Yeah, it's weird for the kids of today, isn't it, that none of this existed? None. Like to think that there was a world before the internet, which we've all experienced, it's just craziness. Oh yeah, and it's not so long ago. Eh? I'm mm. speaking now from the years 1960 to 1974. Yep, that's when you lived in Africa. Yes, and we had one dog, at my knowledge, there that did grow up with me, and by becoming slowly 10 years, 11 years old. I was reading what we call little books with images. And there was one brand of a book, Andy and Bessie. And Andy was a guy living on a farm. And Bessie was his dog. And I still remember that that dog had to work 
for the food every day. <laughs> the guy, Andy, was in those little books. Like a little comic book. Yeah. Yeah. And he was doing little tricks and little training parkours with his dog. And at the end, the dog was feeded. So maybe that created something into me also. I still remember that at a young age, I did receive a book again. I think I was maybe eight, nine years old. And the name of the book was Uncle Boomlala and His Seven Dogs. <laughs> Uncle Boomlala. Uncle Boom Lala. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> that's the name of my next dog. <laughs> well, I mean, and there again, it was about an old man that did circus with his seven circus dogs, and maybe that's a ground that I always did a little bit of circus tricks with my dogs in between. Mm -hmm. Always, mm. I always did that, and then by accident, you see that all the circus tricks you do. The dog loves them the most. And that became one of the rules that Michael and I always tell people. Hey, use the technique that you did use to train your tricks. Because there you did something right. Mm. That the dog does with heart and soul. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that most people that demand tricks are not very exigent to the dog. They accept little mistakes, they accept other tricks as an outcome, and so on, and so on. But that means that that's the trick, mm. is to teach behavior like you teach tricks, mm -hmm. peu à peu. It's interesting when you talk about heart and soul because that's the precipice of the NAPOPO system, like your system, is that... Ever since I've met you, you've always quoted that if your dog's not doing things with heart and soul, then you've missed something along the way. So it's, it's interesting that you've seen that from the get-go. Well, you do see that, but you don't realize it. Mm. You don't realize exactly. that it's a system. It's a little bit innate. You, you use it, but you don't know that you use it. Mm. It's, um, it's a little bit the, the special sauce that you have, but that you don't know that you have. Mm -hmm. And then in that same Africa, I was then later looking into the dictionary, a dictionary. Mm -hmm. And then I went to Malinois because my parents came from Mechelen, which is a little city in Belgium. And if you translate the name in French, it's Malin. And if you translate the name in English, it's Molines, and the dog from Molines is the Malinois. Yeah. So it was already in my mind that one day it would be a Malinois. And every day I looked in that dictionary, and then I saw the pictures of the classic Malinois and then the annex families, Tervuren, Grunendal. Bouvier, and so on. I mean, you, by being far away, you do more to come closer. The less you have easy way to get it, the more you want it. Mm -hmm. And then one day, by I think I was in Belgium, 14, 15 years old. So your whole family returned to Belgium? Yes, yes, yes. yes. So we returned to Belgium 
because we lived in Burundi. What were you there for, Bart? Sorry, just to interrupt. What, why were you in Africa? I was there to be the kid of the family. <laughs> <laughs> but my parents were there and they did work for the Belgian technical assistants. So right. my daddy was a lawyer and my mother was a teacher and even uh, the, the chief of the, the school. So I come out of a family where education was quite important. So your parents were originally in Belgium, then went to Africa and then returned to Belgium? Yes. Yeah. And your, your father wrote the constitution, didn't he? For, yes. Yeah. He did write the constitution for Central Africa. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So he's a serious lawyer. It's a big oh, yeah. deal. And he did do that in another language, which is French, because wow. originally my father was Flemish. Mm-hmm. So on languages, this way you bring it up, you speak first Flemish. Yes. Second French. Yes. Third English, mm-hmm. German, yes, and a little bit still Swahili. Still a little bit of Swahili, yeah. And that's also where I learned that the easier you want the language to be, the fastest you sh- should start with foreign languages. Yeah. It means that a kid should be in contact with foreign languages when they're very young. Mm-hmm. Then they are very open to learn. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Once you're older, it's hard mm. to get a language. Yeah, for sure. That's why for Michael and me, it's very important that when you train a young dog, you stimulate the dog when he's very young for doing different jobs. So variability for us is very important. Later, you can do your specialization. Mm. But the younger the dog is and the faster you let him do things in a playful way no problem yeah exactly don't go too deep yeah too early well that's always the danger if you go too deep too early you have a virtuos an animal who is extreme good in what he or she does the question is is it still a young pup Mm. or is it already a professor a professor at a young age Mm. And does the dog not miss something? It's like virtuous kids can be genius in what they do, but very childish another way. Mm-hmm. And Michael and I, we think that a child needs a balance and the dog the same. And when time is there, then you can push the gate. Totally agree. I, when people wreck that for their dogs, I generally call it Michael Jackson syndrome, mm-hmm. is that I think that uh, most people would agree that Michael Jackson had incredible pressure put on him as a young child to perform by his father like he was whipped into performing which he literally was he was beaten with a stick when he didn't perform well and there's been quite a lot of documentary and even michael jackson talking about it himself and look how it affected him as an older older person he started to be strange in behavior and act out because of that i mean he's still a great performer but with complexities at the same time, which a lot of people see in dogs. They push their dogs too hard. They know it's capable of greatness, but they push it and push it and push it. And then as it gets older, for some reason, the dog acts out and they lose that potential that they could have possibly had, had they have slowed down and just let that puppy be a puppy within reason, within still practicing a system. Well, that's what Michael and I did see all over the world. Eh? We did see a lot of those genius young performing dogs that two years later they disappear mm. from the scene 
And for whatever reason, but most people don't tell that it was a type of burnout, you know? Yeah. We talk about that all the time. You see lots and lots of good puppies on Facebook. You don't see too many adult, good adult dogs. True. True. And, well, to go back to those days when I came in Belgium, it was after the genocide in Africa, in the genocide in Burundi, mm -hmm. the first genocide where nobody ever did speak about. And there, my daddy decided to leave. Within three days, we did leave. And we were in Belgium. And then in Belgium, I remember that one of the first thing I did was buying a Malinois in the local club. Because the place where I live, if you take a straight line, maybe six, seven hundred meters further, was the local ring club where I became a member. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that was MVBK um, back then? Or was it different? Those days it was Ring Centubert. Right. Which Ring. is the FCI version, right? Yes. Yes. Very similar game. Yes. It's mm -hmm. a very similar game, but uh, was too much focus on paperwork and yep. not on dogs anymore. Yeah. And then from there went the break between Centubert, FCI and the NVBK, which is the federation that has his own papers today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I remember the first dog that the guys did help me to buy was, of course, a little bit a bitch that nobody could train, <laughs> but they wanted me to have that dog to be... To suffer. The breeder, no more the breeder, oh, the right, guy okay. that did breed. And I never was in that too much, you know? And... I saw very fast, hmm, there is a missing link in this bitch. I can never reach the top. She cannot jump the maximums. She's not strong enough to bite the big, huge, tall helper. I was seeing very fast those guys don't take me serious as a trainer. As a helper, they loved me. But as a trainer, they were a little bit underestimating me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And I did not keep that dog too long. So uh, I already understood, Bart, that's a no-go to reach your goals. Mm. And I'm going to tell something on podcast now. I did find somebody that wanted the dog. I gave the dog away. My parents never knew that. because <laughs> They do now. Uh, well, unless well, they listen to the my, podcast. <laughs> my daddy died a few years ago. My mom, well... If she hears it, she will forget it again because <laughs> she's a little bit hit by Alzheimer. But, I mean, I even remember that I came home and said, well, she ran away and then I went to specific points where you must tell that your dog did run away and so on and so on. At least you didn't walk the streets calling out, Luna. No. <laughs> That's a different story that we won't tell. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fact <laughs> that's a little bit the same type of story and uh, i remember that story mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway um that's how it started and then slowly and your dad didn't cross-examine you being a lawyer like he didn't oh no didn't put you on the bench and oh no 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 i we received a very good education and from there, they were thinking that kids would never lie. <laughs> but as you know, they do. But you understood, I want to do 
extreme well with a dog and this dog isn't, oh, isn't yeah. going to do it. I did see that my feeling told me it doesn't work like that. And yep. I did not want to be the guy having a breathing bitch. Yeah. And how old were you at this stage, Bart? How old? 14, 15 years old. Okay. Yeah. So still a young kid. Yeah. 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 And you also must understand that my parents never en- did encourage to become a trainer. Mm-hmm. They did not prohibit n- really neither, but they did not like me to do that because in those days, rednecks did train dogs, mm-hmm. brutal people did train dogs, sophisticated people did not. It yeah. was not the environment for a family kid like me to do. Yeah. I, look, I had the same feeling from my family as well in the early days is that people in zoos or gypsies train dogs, you know, not um, not people from good backgrounds. Yeah. And I still remember that. Boy, years, has that changed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but years before my daddy died, he said, hey, Bart, I'm going to say something. It's time to change profession. <laughs> Do something with your diplomas. So I was a sport teacher from profession, and he always told me, Stop training dogs because that's a no-go. Do something real now. It's crazy, never, right? Yeah, he never could understand that it's a profession. It's amazing, isn't it, that, you know, if you followed your, your dad's wishes and stayed in school teaching children, that you would never have developed your passion and never had travelled the world and never had been in a position of developing your stature as a, as a world-class trainer. Yeah, but maybe due to that, I never became a soccer trainer. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Touche. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. So it, it pushed me to be extreme good in what I was, dog training, certainly in teaching people the ins and the outs, because there is a lot of ins that are told, but no outs. Mm-hmm. And that's something that Michael and I always try to tell people that it's a whole palette of training aids and that's where you cook with to have a good meal mm-hmm. i mean it's the whole palette anyway so after school you did your national service in the belgian army yeah there's a paratrooper there yeah and then went to you went to university before or before. after that before that before. and then became a sport teacher but what you must know is we have in the system where I did grow up, you do your, what we call, poetics until you are 18. Mm-hmm. That's your school. And after that school, there is two possibilities. Or you go to a higher school or you go to university. I went to university in Leuven. And there I was hit by two bad knee accidents. Mm-hmm. Big scars on both knees. Oh, yeah. And it was nothing brutal, eh? just in the games. But you must understand that at that university, you have the top of the top guys. Yeah. So with an injury, you cannot pass your very extreme physical tests. Mm-hmm. Not that same year. And then I had to go back. And then we call that a special higher uh, education of sport which gave me the opportunity to teach all children to 18 years mm-hmm. sports. And in those days, the classic sports, eh? soccer, basketball, volleyball, handball, athletism, swimming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the same times, also teacher biology 
with my memories well and languages. Right, okay. Whatever. So there were a few escapes for the day you become too fat. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing that for a profession, but training dogs in the clubs as a hobby at this stage, right? Uh, well, it was always a hobby. Yeah. It was always a hobby. And then from hobby one day, it becomes a jobby. That means that you become quite good in what you do, that people want to pay you for your services mm -hmm. and they pay you with cash money. And that's how your jobby starts. And after a few years, jobby income becomes two, three times bigger than your normal income. Mm -hmm. And that's where you go from jobby to job. And there's where you are confronted with the fact that now you have to pay taxes and overhead and blah, 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 and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And you're not ready for that. And then you realize in the beginning, whoa, 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 whoa. Being in the jobby was making more money than being in the job. Yeah. So yeah. the most fun moment is always the jobby moment where you are really good, but you don't have to think too much on what I call the real paperwork of business mm. so you can concentrate on the real job so you what year were you first belgian champ i was first belgian champ in 1992 with zot flip flip first flip and flip was a half malinois half shepherd 47 kilo it was a huge huge strong dog that i could buy from a guy jeff newlands that was six times Belgian champ NVBK. Yeah, right. And that dog did make him crazy. <laughs> and I remember exactly what I did offer for that dog because I went to his place with a friend that needed a dog and then we did find a dog for my friend. Then after that, I said, well, and I should like to buy Flup. And he said, not for sale. And then I said, 80,000. And he said, sold. <laughs> 80,000 Belgian francs, which is in euros today, uh, 4,000 euro. It's a lot of money for a... 1987, I think. I did right, buy. huge money for a dog. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he was already three years old. And he was untrainable. So he was crazy in drive. And when he received the corrections he needed, he did not go anymore. It's mm -hmm. a typically old training system, but because you did spend so much money, you must try to come out of the shitter. <laughs> so when you when you first looked at Flip, yes, and you and you went along and had him in your mind that you wanted to buy him, what was it that you saw in the dog that you were prepared to part with that amount of money? I I did like the passion in the dog, the, the dedication. And the art of not feeling the consequences that his handler did give to him. Mm -hmm. So he was impressing me also in the bite as a helper. So Oh, so you were already a helper with that dog. That's how you got to know him. You well, had an intimate relationship well, with yeah, him for training him. Yeah, because Jeff Nulis was a dog broker. Yep. A jobby dog broker. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was a ex mine worker. And as you know, the mine workers in Belgium had also very strong unions. And when the mines went in the shitters, the unions did work out very good deal for the mine workers. 
And most of them never had to work again in their life. So they went in pension very young, mm -hmm. like Jeff Newlands went in pension very young. So they had good income and they had the knowledge and the passion to train dogs. And in those days, he trained dogs. And that's why he became so many times Belgian champ. Because he had nothing else going on. It was his all day, every day. He was a full professional. Yeah. And if you go over, most Belgian champs are full professionals in the hobby league. Mm. <laughs> the hobby it's league. always like that, but people don't realize it. Yeah. And that's why the Belgian ring sports for years have been dominated by people that are in pension. Yeah. Because they can train during daylight where people, normal people have... Have to work. Work and a family and then they, they just can show up at the clubs about eight o'clock in the evening and then it goes until two, three o'clock in the morning in the old days. That's how I did it with Flip in the old days. Mm -hmm. So I was one of the youngest champs ever in the game. Uh, I had dedication, yeah. And I mean, Jeff Nulis was a typically example of a guy with knowledge, passion, and a lot of... Uh, dogs went through his fingers, so he had a lot of turnover, buy, sell, buy, sell. So I was very happy to be able to buy that dog. And I remember the day that I picked him up. I think one week later, I picked up the dog with money because you can buy a dog. You must pay the dog also. Mm -hmm. and then he said, Bart, I changed my mind. I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> no, no, he said, you must add 10 matings. Um, okay. I said, no problem. I don't yeah. care. And I think I did five or six with that dog. Every time he asked me... Send him off. I send him off, yes. Yep. That's a handshake deal. You never change that. And the dog had no problem by being... He was a good stud dog, yeah. And he yep. had no problem mentally. Some dogs, you know, then they come with a bitch and there is a problem and it, the, the mating does not go well and the next day you have training problems and no, Flip was totally not affected by that. Yeah, so he'd switch on for what, for his mating, switch back on for yeah. training. Yeah. And, yeah. and Flip, well, that's good dog. Flip was Thor's father? No. No, I've got it confused. Yes, Flip was... Uh, oh, it doesn't matter. Yes, but that's another Flip. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I thought it was yeah, a yeah. flip, there is but a different flip. one. There's another flip, yeah. So flip you got, and he'd been really in, sounds like the Poponay. Yes, that was a typically Poponay. In the Poponay days where the dogs did listen very well within one meter range. We might need to explain what Poponay well, means. Well, we'll, okay, we'll bring it around. Yeah. So flip was a dog, a typically dog of those time where the dog was a little bit in submission when he was close to you. And as soon as they were further from you, they knew exactly, now he cannot touch me. Yeah. And that's where disobedience started. So for Flup, training Flup without the e-collar would have been impossible. Mm -hmm. Impossible. He could take physically stimulation without limit. And the danger about that is always physical damage. Yeah. Physical accidents. And it did bring nothing. It was like it would have rained on him. He mm -hmm. was totally desensitized to that. Whereas with the electronic color, it did make me champ. Right. And I was not afraid of using the buttons. Yep. So I saw very fast that using the buttons was a type of very 
correct way to train that dog. Mm -hmm. But he was in the positive, positive ne, popopone. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly as Len's saying, so we'll come around to explain that later, but a dog that is not prepared to take a correction, just crushed by a correction because he yes. was not shown that in the system along the way, which we'll talk about soon. Well, he, he was also crushing, eh? because in the beginning you use the e-collar for the recall, mm -hmm. and then because it comes so good, then they don't dare to go away from your legs anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and then there was always something new going on because you don't know that there is low level existing. And then, because I did study a little bit Pavlov and Skinner during my studies, there slowly everything did come around, you know. Mm -hmm. And I remember even in those days, I had my own e-collar flip control because I had a friend that did construct for me a remote control e-collar. And in those days, it was totally new that via remote, you could program levels. And the color receiver was as brick, as big as a brick stone. Was this the old Tritronics ones? No, it was my own brand. Oh, so brand. That's something I found out about Bart during the week. Mm -hmm. a, we talk about, I often refer to you as sort of the grandfather of modern dog training and people want to hear examples why, but you were the, the I was the first person ever to have an e-collar you could change the levels on from the remote. Without having to change the resistors. Yeah. yeah. So the old style e-collar mm. for people listening, you had to take off the dog, change the resistors in the box and then yep. put it back on. So it was one level at a time and then you had to go and interfere with the dog, stop the training and change it. That's right. It. Yep. But had made the first ever e-collar. You could yep. change the levels at the point of the remote, which every single e-collar does now. Like that was the point of that being yeah. invented. Because before that, I used the classic colors of market and or the level is too low and is worthless or the level is too high and the dog goes in submission or did bite us and we had a lot of accidents going on mm. and then one of my friends was quite good in electronics and he did construct that for me with a remote of a car opener you're right <laughs> the car opener was the remote and of course the color receiver was huge i remember that it was making me happy. And then <clears throat> I went to the banks, a local little bank, and I told the bank CEO, I should like to have a loan to make this ID fly. And he laughed me away. So. <laughs> well, he have no idea what it is. Uh, no, 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 no. And then maybe it was good that he did that because I think one year later, I did find the first Inotech brand on market and Inotech was a brand that came also with a regulation via the transmitter and Inotech was owned by Mr. Greg Van Curen that is now the owner of Ecor Technologies mm -hmm. and those guys by accident did find this because one of their customers wanted it and they did have a huge success because in those days Tritronic was selling their product around two three thousand dollar wow regulation on color in germany there was a brand checker which was even more expensive there again only one steam high level and that american company from greg inotech 
that came with the same type of transmitter like I had, but with a much smaller color receiver. Mm -hmm. So if you look it afterwards, it was maybe good that the banks did love me away. Otherwise, I would have been pushed out of competition yeah, right. Yeah. Like that. And that was also the success of um, of Inotech. That little thing, the free spirit, was sold for about 400 euro in Europe. 400 euro, it's about 24,000, 25,000 Belgian francs. So way, way cheaper than anything else. Oh, yeah. That was the success of Inotech. They did... Mm. They did revolutionary. Give, it was a revolution, yes. Yeah. yeah, I remember in the early days... Um, after seeing the old Tritronics versions where they had the resistors in both the yes. receiver and the and the collar, uh, or the transmitter and the receiver, I should say. And then uh, I did see the Inotech one yes. years later. Yes. And because somebody was showing it to me and they said, oh, no, now all you do is you have a, like a little turn dial on the top of it. And it was tiny, like it was a quarter of the size of what Tritronics had brought out. And I looked at it and I said, how does it work? And they said, it's every bit as powerful as what, what they have, except it's got micro adjustments that you can make. And then it was, yeah, it was a revolution on, on what people were using in remote training collars. And Flip, I trained him with two little remotes in my hand, one in my left hand and one in my right hand. And both remotes were on the same ID code. So I had in my left hand a stim and there was a little... Um, how should I say, boost shift at the side of that transmitter to jump with two levels. Mm -hmm. And in my right hand, I had the same device. So in theory, I had in those days four levels and that was making the last two years the big difference in training flip. Mm -hmm. Big, big, big difference. So flip, you using that e-collars as they were basically being invented, you turned around out of the Popo Nay into your well, Popo. Slowly you go in that, but there again, it's more based on feeling than on knowledge. Mm -hmm. It's more based on feeling than knowledge, yeah. And then uh, second time you were champ was with Zot. Yeah. That was an old hotter parkour. Zot was a more zero to champ story, huh? Yep. Um, I remember there was a guy calling me, Noel van der Winkel. If you go back to his data sheet, I think Noel was twice or three times Belgian champ, mm -hmm. NVBK. So he's also not Mr. Nobody. And one day he calls me, he said, Bart, I have a very good dog for you. I said, uh-huh. How old is he? And he tells me, well, nearly three months old. I said, Noel, that's still a pup. I, I, I don't like pups. I like adult dogs. You know that. And he said, Bart, but this is not a pup. This is a monster. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me crazy. <laughs> anyway, he created my curiosity and I went looking to the place where that gentleman lives. i never forget the name, Nazareth. It's a name of a Catholic town, as you know, Nazareth. Oh, Nazareth. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. In Belgium. And I went to his property and uh, nobody was there. And then I went to the kennels. I did not see a little dog of three months old. And then I went to the trailer. And there was a little dog with no mask and long fur and eyes burning like cigarettes and 
pushing and growling. And I said, mm, that must be our new friend. <laughs> and then Noel arrived and he said, hey, you did find him? I said, yeah. What do you think? I said, nothing. I just see him here. He's not very masked. So he had no dark mask. So... Which is considered important in Belgium yeah. then, and the, yeah, the yeah, black yeah. of the face. The yeah, 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 yeah. So it was already a little no-go for me optically. And he said, Bart, the dog is crazy. You cannot believe. And I remember because Noel had a red plastic jacket on with the Royal Canin logo on oh, it. Yeah. yeah. And he had that over his clothes and he said look how crazy it is and he opens the door of his trailer and that crazy dog flies in his chest <laughs> bite it together <laughs> and he starts nailing that little animal to get out yeah. of that grip and i say whoa 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 whoa, whoa noel careful he said bart he's crazy you see that he <laughs> must go out of my place and I remember it like yesterday also, there was a brick stone on the ground, a brick stone. And I said, Noel, you know what? Can you make a little bit pray with that brick stone and then let it snap it? Whatever you want, he says. I said, okay. And he does it. That dog snaps that brick stone and runs around that property with that brick in his muzzle and then flagging his tail up. And I said, huh? And then he asked me, do you want to see him biting? <laughs> I just did. <laughs> well, and I was thinking, if I see him biting and if he bites very well, I must offer more money. <laughs> and, I, and, and I said, well, no. and I was thinking, if he bites a brick stone, I suppose he's biting jute. jute or whatever. I said, no, 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 it's good for me and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. So it's a little bit one, the type of conversation between brokers, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> trying to have a, as best deal as possible. And I remember I had no kennels free at that moment. So I asked Noel to bring that dog three or four days later at my place. And when he did bring Zot, I was on training and I said, hey, throw him in my kennel. And he did throw him in the kennel. And then later after training, I went to the kennel and said, ha, huh, the newcomer. And I remember like yesterday, I opened that kennel and he also nailed me in my chest like a crazy monkey. I said, this is not possible. <laughs> and I had to choke him and to push him away. And then by coincidence, because a lot of things are coincidence, I had a big used soccer ball close to the kennels. And I did a little bit pray with that. Opened the kennel, he nailed it, put the leash around his neck. And from that day, I did understand that that dog needed something in his mouth to mm -hmm. be calm. He had a type of sickness. I need something in my mouth. So if he had nothing in his mouth, he was a little bit paranoia. With something in his mouth, it was like a pacifier. Mm. And you see that in some very strong biting bloodlines. Mm -hmm. And if I see that, I will immediately bite that dog again. Yeah. Because it's easy. You don't have to do the forced fetch. It's already there. You just had learned the dog to out. But that dog always had something in his muzzle when I walked him. Always, always, always. And from that time, I also started by holding something continuously in the mouth. Mm -hmm. But I even remember I did it already before that, but not so religious. Yeah. Yeah. 
this is where the the saying "respect my meat, my friend" comes. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, a little bit, but I know where the yeah, but that also has another um, purpose. For example, we like to do a forced fetch on our finger. Yep, and if the dog respects your meat, he will not crush your finger too hard, and then you give him the command to out and then you give him food or whatever and if the dog has not too much respect he will <coughs> he will hurt you so this is also a trick to see if the dog is a little bit clear in his mind or not you know mm -hmm. towards you and well Zot was for me maybe the easiest dog to train in my life that dog had crazy ignition on food crazy fruit drive crazy prey dive he had everything too much so it was there i could start from day one train him like an adult dog mm -hmm. which i also did so i trained long sessions long sessions with a lot of repetitions but for him he was always fresh totally fresh so he had no problem with that regime he asked for that type of regime and I remember Zot was totally trained, one year old. It was totally finished product. And the only thing I did was waiting two more years before showing him in competition to give him more routine, more experience. And with Zot, I did do one stupid thing because he was so demanding. I did give him what he was asking for. And that was the long bite work, the real bite work. And of course, a young dog has too much speed and not enough body muscles to control the impacts. And there had a little neck accident in the leg. And that's mm -hmm. why I had to make him biting the arms. Yeah. Because I come out of a leg school mentality. We start always in the legs, the legs, the legs. And even in the breeding, for us, it was religion that a breeding dog the male because we come out of a male breeding mentality yeah that means that the male all have to come out of the ring sports and they all had to be in level one which is the highest level which you can only arrive in when the dog is minimum five six years old that means that when the dog is five six years old and he still jumps the maximums in the ring sport, you know, we don't need a photo. Yeah, we don't need hips, an x-ray. He's jumping a 10-foot wall. Or the long pit or the hurdle or whatever, mm -hmm. because the ring sports do have quite uh, severe and extreme jumps. So we wanted to see that. And of course, we accept accidents as the cause of no more jumping or sure. lower jumping. That's okay. But the country is so small that you know very fast it's an accident or not an accident. Yeah. That means that we follow all the dogs and there is a lot of good speaking and bad mouthing, bad speaking about dogs. It's a small community, so everybody knows everything. But it was a good selection system. That means that the male dogs all had to come out of that ring one level, mm -hmm. still jump well, and still biting the legs. That was very important, biting the legs, because most dogs that have somewhere a little weakness, you have to 
put them in the arms mm -hmm. because in the arm you absorb better the bite the 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 impact in biting in the long tackle is much less in the arm than in the legs mm -hmm. so for us and then especially we have helpers from 100 kilo with the suit on and you must also understand to bite in the leg you need more head to go over that leg yeah like a bigger head to get around yes the bigger jute. yes so it's all very important and well this is a mentality that is lost so yeah i don't see that anymore but just on on you talking about your selection of dogs based on uh like a a knowledge like an industry knowledge that you shared in that community how do you find it back then compared to now like you had like a community knowledge on the selection of dogs. Your whole training clubs knew, yes. knew what type of dog it was based on the communication you had amongst each other. Now based on x-raying and veterinary involvement, do you find that it's better for the dogs or do you find that you're seeing problems because of it? Well, let's see like this. Huh? What I do see is that the quantity becomes smaller. Mm -hmm. So the pool where we are fishing our dogs out is smaller, maybe 10 times smaller. Not as many clubs, not as many people in the sports. Not as many clubs, not as many people, and not as many dogs. Mm -hmm. In the old days, you had always a second dog and a third dog ready. Right. Always. Mm -hmm. And the dog that you had ready was for different reasons, accidents or money or you just loved it. Uh, I mean, there were different reasons. You see that less and less. And less and less people sell their dogs. And I think that the old system was very fair. And I think that today the selection is much much softer. By softer, I mean, I even think there is no more selection. I even think that there has been a moment in Belgium that every dog, whatever it was, was sold just because it came out of NVBK. Mm -hmm. And the demands worldwide were so big that you could produce and supply and supply and supply and that's a little bit a shame yeah i think these days a lot of people are attached to the idea that their dog should be bred as well right like they yeah. they want it to whether it's achieved or yes. and shown any reason to be bred yes. other than that they want to yes and i think that selection is something very important and me they always learn me that the program you test your dog in should be the selection. Mm. And that's, for example, why I don't like the one-time selections of, for example, Deutsche Malinos Club. The DMC does a one-time selection. I don't believe in that. I believe that every training must be a selection and every competition must be a selection. Mm -hmm. And because it always changes and is variable, it's a selection. Yeah. And... I think that, for example, the way a lot of IPO dogs in other sports are tested is also one-time shot. I don't like that too much. Mm -hmm. So I believe more in that every every training you see the dog in different environment, every competition you see the dog in different situations. Um, I, I prefer that by far. Yeah. Get a real idea of the dog rather than just a snapshot in time of how he looked on one day that yeah. he could have trained for specifically, knew the routine, get through. Yeah, today they, they film 100 times something. Yeah. 
99 times it doesn't work. One time, with a little bit of luck, it does work. And then they have a nice advertising movie, and that's a breathing machine, and so on and so on. I have problems with that, yeah. Well, yeah, that's a perfect time to now talk about Thor and the dog that everyone has probably seen video of you and Thor. There's an eight-and-a-half-minute video I put on our Facebook page today. If you haven't checked it out, go and check it out right now. Uh, and talk about 100 takes. That was just filmed once. Yeah. Someone was there and said, hey, can we film this? And you just said, yeah. And that was nothing in mind. That was just you. Yeah, I was just saying yes to be stopping the nagging of the demands. <laughs> yeah. I did not realize that it could be such an impact. The dog, Thor, was the right dog on the right moment. Mm -hmm. That means that Thor was the dog that did open the gate to the whole world. Thor did open the gate to black German Shepherd people. Because I thought he was one. Of course. <laughs> Skinny one, but one. Thor did open the gate for Labrador people. <laughs> Years were wrong, but he had something of every breed. So he was a mud look, looking dog. I had the Malinois papers on him because he was the original son of Zot. Mm hmm with a Kukai bloodline bitch from Mike Wirtz from the Leibig Hoover. Mm -hmm. I never forget that. And Mike, which is a very close friend of mine, told me, Bart, nice litter, 14 pups, but there is a fiasco. All the males don't look like a Malinois. They have the black German Shepherd coding. And I said, fuck that. I don't want the dog. <laughs> And then it was my daughter that was very persistent and she um, she promised me she would do everything to train and raise the dog and la la li and la la la. And she did that. And uh, well, after three days being home, I saw it's a, it's a dog out of a number. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's something special. And Thor was very intelligent, maybe due to the system, maybe genetically combination Thor was a pusher he was very stable in normal life he could be in the house sleeping lazy because he knew that when he was too much making noise or things like that it was Are, time to go out so he was faking sleeping <laughs> oh yeah you can you go he was putting his head between his legs he was like always playing somebody. Mm -hmm. So here's a total contrast to Zot. Like Zot was very aggressive, yes. right? And Thor was yes. very social. Yes. But Thor did not like to be touched from nobody. Yeah, right. Only from Michael or from me. And in the old days from Ines. Yeah. He hated to be touched from people. As long as you did not touch him, everything was fine. <laughs> you were touching him. He was looking to you. Don't do that again. Mm -hmm. Strip club rules. Yeah. <laughs> And then, yeah, a little bit that. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah. And he was very possessive in his kennel because, you know, the longer you train dogs, the more you want them in a private place far away from your private place. Mm -hmm. That means that there is a moment in your dog career that you try to split up the space between you and the dogs. And that's why our dogs, of course, have a moment to come in the house. 
but I like them outside of the house. And when you went to his kennel and you want to go out, he was always trying to block you of going out of the kennel. When, with my daughter also, he, he, he tried to keep her in the kennel. <laughs> oh, yeah. All those crazy things he did. And to other people, he was very mean in the kennel. Yeah, in right. the kennel, he was very, very zone protective. Mm-hmm. But that's also a red line in all my life. I always have dogs that in the kennels, if you come too close, with murder and fire going on. Yeah, right. When they're back tied. So I never had dogs that were letting in everybody. Never. Maybe it was because I never had those bloodlines. Maybe it has to do with my character. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So, but Thor was the special one, certainly. So, just for people who are listening, it's not Entor. No, no. it's no. Thor. Yeah, because some of your videos that you recommend people watch when they're doing the Napo School are uh, of Entor. Entor was later when Michael and I did met and Michael and I did train a dog for our first American customer in the Nepopo school. Mm -hmm. And Entor was a fantastic dog that we did buy from a friend in the club, Gunther Mertens, from Chaos, Chaos, the father. And, uh, but that's another dog, yeah. Yeah. So the reason I sort of, I wanted to talk to you sort of in this way about the dogs was because Zot is the perfect example of a dog that was old Nipopo and Thor came around to be a, a new Nipopo trained dog. Yeah. Uh, so can you explain that just a little bit, hit the wave tops as we've used on this <laughs> yes. podcast of old Nipopo versus new Nipopo meeting Michael and how that came to be? Well, let's say like this. The old Nipopo is the press release system where press can be done by physical pressure, leash pressure, e-collar pressure. It's like horse riding. Mm -hmm. And when the the animal does the right thing, you stop the pressure. And the extra pull is food Mm -hmm. or toy. Extra pull. And what we did realize over the years was that Michael and I are quite good in dog training. And we had a lot of dogs going through our fingers. And the easiest dogs are always the dogs with a lot of hope, a lot of ignition, a lot of fire. And because they have a lot of fire, you can give them a little bit resistance, mm-hmm. a little bit limitations. You can work them. You can give them conflict. So these are the easiest dogs to train. And the old Naples pull was a very, very successful training method because we did imply it on dogs that were full of ignition. And when a dog is full of ignition, you can squeeze them a little bit into a certain behavior. And when they do the behavior, you stop the stimulation. And in addition, you can give an extra reward. That was the classic Nepopo. So in the classic old Nepopo, you show the dog what he or she has to do with negative stim. When the dog does, you stop the stim, which is the first reward, and then you add an additional reward, which he still likes. Mm-hmm. That's him. And there, and there, Michael did find the perfect word 
the level of steam that you use there must always be lower than hope to create fire. If that level of stimulation you use is higher than the hope, it's over and out. Yeah, you've crushed the dog. Aversive steam. Mm. What most people do in Popopone. Mm -hmm. And the old Nepopo, so we, 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 we did fine very fast. And the old Nepopo is nothing new neither. Eh? It's the classical escape training or avoidance training where we just added an additional reward, a positive reward at the end. Mm -hmm. So instead of a single reward, a double reward worked fine. The only problem is that worldwide, more and more people became too much impatient and did imply the old Nepopo too serious from too young. Also because I did it with Zot. You but could, but he was that type of dog. Of course, but Zot, he had ignition for a whole day mm. and a whole night. So that dog was ready. And that dog was lucky to define me as a trainer who would not have survived. Impossible. Something on Zod I meant to bring up when you talk about him, he had no brothers and sisters and no parents, right? Yes. So that would be a contributing factor to, like he had no inhibition, no one taught him anything as, as a very young pup. He just yes. was wild. He was wild and uneducated. Mm -hmm. What uh, do you mean he had no parents? What? His mother died in whelp and he was hand-raised. Right, yeah. okay. Uh, yeah, so, well, that, that contributes to a lot of him being the type of dog he was. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, fact was, he was extreme dog aggressive. He was warm aggressive. He was aggressive to anybody that was not barred. <laughs> <laughs> Very protective. Yeah. And, uh, well, a little bit crazy monkey. Eh? Mm -hmm. He was a psychopath. Uh, I was so happy that he did die. People don't understand <laughs> that, but it was... <laughs> But, you know, one of the things that when I did your course that blew my mind in the early stages was when I, when you were talking about the concept that people don't understand remote trainers like they'd like to think, like they have an opinion on them, but they don't understand them. And when you turned around and were talking to the class about how you condition dogs to the remote trainer the same way people use clickers, like you use a little low-level stem and reward the dog, and that the dog functions happily for that um, with no aversive, that that was absolutely a mind blow for me right there. Well, that's another thing that Michael and I did find out by training a lot of dogs that some dogs need some type of coaching and other dogs need another type of coaching. And it's very easy if you can use the whole palette of training aids to be successful. What you must understand is that sometimes in dog training, as a professional, you only have two or three weeks to train a dog. Then you must exactly know, okay, I need X repetitions. Well, what's the type of system I go for? And do I go for a system where I have an immediate correction? Or do I go for a system where stopping the game and taking the reward away is my correction? And for us, our reality was we were maximum having the dogs three weeks at our places. So in three weeks, we must bring back a dog healing, the sit, the down, go to your place, come to me, 
and then the recall. So you have three weeks to bring that in the dog, and you have three weeks to bring the dog back to the owner, and that same dog must do it for the ex-owner where he did the bullshit, mm -hmm. which he will try to do again. And that's why that little remote control stimulation must remind the dog, hey, don't try, Domina is still here. I mean, the hand of God. And I did see, for example, with Michael, between five and ten times a month, I did see Michael deliver dogs, different breeds, healing as good as Tom top competition dogs in the high IPOs. And of course there was an e-collar. And of course there was food. But she did do that in three weeks where more peop most people cannot do it in 10 years. Mm -hmm. And when she says sit, they were sitting. And when she said down, they were sitting at downing. And when she was recalling them, they came. And when not, there was a consequence for not coming. So that very... Um, structured system gave very, very fast and very, very good results. Of course, there again, always with the same, same type of dogs. Most of the dogs that came to the facility of Michael or when they came to my facilities are always dogs with too much. Yeah. That's the red line in all the dogs that were successful in all our lives. It's dogs that have ignition. And when you have ignition, you can do a lot of repetitions, a lot of deep practice. And that's why Michael one day, I think it's seven or eight years ago, came up with that book, The Talent Code, mm -hmm. because in those days, Michael was a member from a reading club, and every month they sent her recommended books to read. And she has a master's in psychology, and then she read that, and she said, whoa, 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 whoa. This is a nice book, and I hate to read books. And I said, Michael, can you summarize it for me? Because I fall asleep when I read one page. I did try. <laughs> and then she did summarize it in 27 pages. I said, Michael, this is still too long. I, I always had that problem. I cannot read. It's boring to me. And then she was telling me, and then I said, whoa, this is interesting. It's about doing a lot of repetitions. And why is doing a lot of repetition meaningful for some people? And why is doing a lot of repetition meaningless for some people? Mm -hmm. It all depends on ignition. What's the fire? So that book became our Bible. It's about ignition. It's about deep practice. It's about master coaching. Yeah, I think Daniel Coyle that wrote that book probably should be paying you a, oh, a I commission. I definitely think so. I, he, he probably looked at his online sales and went, what the hell is What's going on? Here? Why are all these dog trainers buying this book? <laughs> well. So, Daniel, I, get on it. Yeah, well. Daniel listens to our podcast, clearly, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I would say, Daniel, thank you for writing this book. So I, um, It is a good book and it's very interesting. Well, it's a controversial book. Do you know the way I got through the book? Because it is a dry read is that I listened to the audio while I read the book. So I had it in my ears while I was reading the pages because I was finding the same thing as you. I found when I was reading the book, I was falling asleep. However, when I actually had the audio going and read the book together, I found it far more interesting and I retained it immediately. Oh. It was just a way I'd coach myself into, into yeah. suffering through dry reading books. Mm. For me, this book is so full of good stuff that it's like... Making a mistake 
and being conscious of the awareness of the mistake. Mm -hmm. That's so important. Mm -hmm. And they explain in the book why the people must make mistakes and why good people feel when they make a mistake and why not so good people need the teacher to tell them wrong. And that's why Michael and I will never go to a system where we tell the dog wrong, wrong. We let him feel it's wrong. We will not tell him. It mm -hmm. must be a consequence and he must do better next time. So we did already do that, but we did understand better why due to the book. That's right. So the talent code made you understand how you'd been so successful, yeah. but also made you understand how to do it with dogs that weren't like that naturally. Yes. Yes, yes. And in comes new Nipopo. Yes, it, 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 the book came at the right moment where Michael and I were cooking our, all, all our things together because what people don't realize is when we started all this also, we did write the patterns for the chameleon. Mm -hmm. So we did write that together where we are two dog trainers yeah, at that moment and we do the work of a patent lawyer. And then with our written stuff, we went to a patent lawyer and he did not have to do too much work with our patents. He could file it immediately. Mm -hmm. So it was very well prepared. And in addition to that, we also patented the way to go around the patents, which will come on market soon. But all those things did happen when Michael and I were sitting together because we were about two years on the road in the States, hey? going from one city to another city by car, and then you sit the whole day, what do you do? And then there was a lot of brain cooking, brain thinking, yeah. We should point out, because we haven't, and people might not understand, Michael is your wife. Yes. And her, na her name is Michael. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, we had problems with that name. <laughs> I remember the day that Michael and I did apply for green cards for me, because at the beginning, the idea was to immigrate in the States. And um, we went to an immigration lawyer. And then I think it was Michael and Bart Bellon. And then one of the lawyers answered, well, we don't do that type of stuff. And I said, <laughs> what, does, what does this fucker mean, what type of stuff? Well, and he means, I think, the men and men stuff, men marriage. Well... They do now. Well it, well, it confused us when I first was, uh, when we organized the seminar the first time, we were emailing and you get an email back from, and Sam says to me, oh no, it's it's Michelle. That's a, that's a Belgian name. It's Michelle. <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, well, it's not. Let's no, no, say it's Bill Michael. It, it's confusing a lot of people. And by the way, her mother, the mother of her, Michael, her name is Louis. So that's a family trait. I think it's a family trick to trick the whole world, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you guys meet? Where did, I mean, obviously, it was dog-related. You probably well were her mentor at some stage or? Ah, uh, no, 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 I never, never was. Okay, that's interesting because I didn't know that. No, no, never was. Mike was a member of the IACP as a trainer. Yep. And I think she just came back from a seminar from Gottfried Dilde about tracking. Mm -hmm. So when Michael did have her little um, business in Washington, in the meantime, she was very curious. M Michael is a very curious shite. She likes to learn. Me, I'm a very lazy guy. I'm, 
I don't like to learn too much. So I'm very, I don't like to change things. So once I've my quality zone, let me be there. It's okay. Yeah, but there is another better one. I don't want to know. This mm -hmm. one is good enough. Yep. But um, I did met Michael on my first American seminar when I already was having my first divorce. And so you can't say that your divorce. You can't say your first one. It's bad luck to say that. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah. But they also have a joke. Eh? You know, once you have been divorced, you, you become quite good at it. <laughs> so you, <laughs> you, you know the ropes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well. He's joking, Michael. Yeah, I'm so, joking. So but, you, were, you were at, you were actually doing a seminar for the IACP. No, 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 no. I was doing a seminar for... A trainer, what was his name again? Marshall. Marshall. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marshall. I've seen the video. It's on like a, a ranch somewhere. And his his cousin was Lo, Mo Lindsay. Tom Marshall and Mo Lindsay. Mm -hmm. These guys did bring me to the United States. And there I did meet a lot of people that were big names or big came quite big names later mm -hmm. yeah and michael was sitting there uh in the crowd but before that i remember on the seminar especially in the states i like to see gear so i walk on the parking and see what trailers people have what the cars are so especially americans they love good how should i say they even love more the quality of the geared than the quality of the dog mm. <laughs> where i come out of another mentality i like a quality dog and give me a shitty car yeah yeah did you i think was you told me that you used to ride your bike with the dog just hanging over the to the club the yes. dog just hanging over the center bar of the well bike. We, they were not hanging <laughs> over the center bar we had a little pet yeah. on the center bar and they could jump on that yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. and that's how everyone just got around with oh, your yeah. dog. Well, no problem that was the old ways <laughs> old school old school mm. And then the dog could run and hop on the bar and then hop again and then they had to run and then they could jump on the bar. Well, but in those Perfect. days it was, yeah, yeah, it was allowed, but this is not allowed anymore. Oh, you go to jail for doing that now. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I went around on that parking of the hotel and I can still remember it like it was yesterday again. There was a white Mercedes Sprinter. I said, huh, an American with a Sprinter? And then I saw the advertising. I said, oh, that's maybe one of the persons that is on the seminar. And then I saw a lady with the shepherd a little bit further. I said, sir, something in my car. I said, no. And I, we start a conversation. And are you there for the seminar? I said, yeah. And so we kept the conversation quite short. And then she did not realize I was Bart. <laughs> and then the next day she saw it and then... Well, from that day we are together. Awesome. Yeah. Just like that. Yeah, just like that. And then maybe yep. Tom Marshall or and Lo Mo Lindsay were thinking that Bart is a womanizer, that every seminar he does that, but no no. Just once. Just once. It's enough. <laughs> <laughs> we spoke to Michael, um you know, I talked to Michael all the time, but when we first started doing the podcast and we before we released it, we, we started, everyone listening knows we started and then gave up before we put it out and then started again. We spoke to her about getting wrong because most people don't know what an accomplished dog trainer 
she is, mm-hmm. um, it's easy to think of her as your wife when she's an amazing dog trainer. And the new Nipopo is the combination of you two. It's mm-hmm. not it's not yours. It's it's the pair of you together. Yeah. Let's say like this, that is always the fact when two people with a lot of fire comes together, they... they Create. They create things to make it more understandable by other people because you can do things doesn't mean you can pass it to other people mm-hmm. and it's those discussions that we had on the road and then why this and why that and how does it match with learning theories and so on and so on no no no, no. Uh, and then michael has a background of horse riding yeah right where there is a lot of press release going on and michael also has a background from always having a dog the big difference between Michael and me, she likes to have a dog in a private life. Mm-hmm. Me, I cannot stand it anymore. Because I did it so much, and I must confess that dogs did destroy so much in my private life, the moment I was financially not ready for the destruction. <laughs> <laughs> Tell cars, the steps. The- cars. I even had a fucker that did have pleasure in biting... In oak stairs, not in one stairs, a little bit chewing in every stair. <laughs> <laughs> you you cannot believe how mad I was that day. Yeah. And there I learned, don't trust them. They will do it. They will do it. And, and people always think, Bart, you're a psycho. But, you know, I did see so many crazy shit going on with dogs that the more crazy shit you see, and of course, you, also, you only see the extremes, eh? but it makes you a little bit paranoia. So I'm so careful, you cannot believe. So keeping in line with our talking about the dog, so you had Thor, who you didn't compete with anywhere. He was your demo dog, and he was in the, the new Nipopo, and he yeah. traveled around, and oh yeah, he's the dog that everybody can look up a, a lot of videos of you and him working together, and it's it's pure harmony. Mm-hmm. And he worked the same for Michael, and oh yeah, she, you, got, you trained him together. Oh yeah. Well, let's say... The person that did train toward the six, seven first months of his life was my daughter, mm-hmm. Ines. So Ines did do what I call the ABCs on the dog. And the rest was easy. You just take over and that dog was so pushing, it's easy. I remember you saying that part at the first seminar that we ever went to, not the Napo School, the actual seminar that you ran up in Brisbane. And uh, you, you confessed back then, you said, look, I don't really have a lot of time for puppies because they drive me crazy. But my daughter, she takes them on and does a lot of the social work and mm-hmm. getting them ready for me. And once I decide that I've got something in the dog that uh, I can go with, well, take and, it over from there. And then in the old days, in my case, I always had the Springer Spaniel to nanny the dogs. So I always had a runner that learns them a little bit dog behavior stuff yep, yep. and before at the springer spaniel i had a dog named jack jack was also a nice nanny and by the way i did sell that dog to mike words from the <laughs> Liebeck hoover and that's one of the dogs he became successful with also so you see that there's always things going on and what people don't understand is that there is a moment in life where you must decide do i train dogs or do i train people and do I train dogs for fun? And then the question is, it's very funny, but can I make, can I feed my family 
by making fun. Mm. So the reality is that very fast you must see that the whole dog organizations is based on hobbyism, an old traditional way of doing whatever, and we don't learn from other sport federations. For example, what I did not know was that out of Belgium, France, Germany and Holland, out of these classic dog countries, the dog sport was done by more wealthy people. Mm-hmm. Where in Belgium, and I speak for Belgium now, in France, in Holland, there more poor people did do dog sport. So I did not realize that people were prepared to pay for knowledge of dog training. I did not know that. And you, you only know it by traveling around the world. So this was also very important to understand that the seminars that in the beginning you give for free slowly became so attractive for people that there is so many demands that you say, whoa, 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 whoa. I've no life anymore if I fulfill all those demands. And I remember that I did charge money as an excuse so that they would say it's too expensive, stay home. Uh-huh. <laughs> because that was the whole idea of demanding money. It was never a marketing system. It was just a system of stopping the demand. But it did do the opposite. It did double, triple the demand. And from that year, every year we had to double the wage, double, 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 non-stop. There is, in this job, there is non-stop job all over the world, but you must be able to travel around the world. Yeah, mm. yeah. We just had—I um, don't know if you know, if you've heard of her, Gabina Markanova. Uh, I know the name. Yeah, yeah she just came over. She, um, she's predominantly IPO. Yeah, great trainer. She's good. Yeah, she is home for three weeks. Then yeah. she's back on a plane. She's away doing a seminar for a week or two. Back home for a couple of weeks. Back on a plane with us and her sons with her because he translates for her. She um, speaks Czech, and I think she speaks another language as well. Can't recall which one it was. But, uh, yeah, she's like what you were just saying. She's at home for a couple of weeks, back on a plane. I said, how do you cope with the life? She said, well, I've got to do it now while I can because there will come a time where people will say there's somebody else I want to get out for a seminar. Well, you were telling me the other day that this is the – because you were here in October and that's the longest period you've gone – yeah, really since starting that you haven't been traveling around the world. For me, the seminar started at my first championship, 1992. There it started for me because it was not a daily event that a young guy become Belgian champ eh? mm-hmm. and beat all the, all the guys. And of course, also because in those days we did open the borders, we did look what is the neighbor doing in France, what is the neighbor doing in Germany, Holland. So we, we went and see to the border, over the border, where today it's easier. You just go on the internet, mm. but in the old days there was no internet. So we did do physical traveling. Yeah. And that every, everything started by coincidence. It's, it's unbelievable. But what people always ask is, Bart, 2002 is your last competition, say, yeah? Uh, we think you still you, you cannot do it anymore. So of course, I still can do it much better than before, e- even. But what is 
my benefit of doing. First yeah. of all, I'm always on the road. Now I just have been home for six months. Never happened in my life that I was home six months. And we do it on purpose because we stop the seminars. We just concentrate on the school and on the chameleon. But what people must understand is how can you go in competition if you are on the road every week? Well, with Zot it was easy. I was on the road and I never went further than 1,000, 3,400 kilometers. And I did everything by car. Sometimes I left three days before. I did my mileage, my kilometers. Every stop we trained a little bit. So the dog was certainly trained, but not specifically in Belgian ring like I had to Zot. Eh? Mm-hmm. And that was the reason why I could compete him. But after Zot, then it started by plane. So your dog is home. Well, when you come home, it's like a foreigner trains the dog. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's not so easy. So And that's why I admire a lot of professionals that still have the focus, the energy to go in competition by knowing that at least once a month they give a seminar somewhere in the world. Because giving a seminar, that's one, but you must travel, travel to the seminar. Then you must recover from the jet lag. And you must also recover from the energy the energy you put in it. Because don't think that's holiday on ice, eh? Mm. It's a hard job, eh? Yeah, yeah, that's that's tough. That's very must, tough work. You must entertain people. I remember I was here at the first Australian gold in January yep. 2017 in that horse arena. Bloody hell, it were temperatures between... Oh, it was 40 degrees, yeah. yeah I remember. Was 48. 48? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The the temperatures between 42 and 48 degrees. I never trained in those situations before in my life. Mm. And we had puppies to train, yeah. and those pups did the best. They had ignition. But that's the reality. So you have there a seminar to run, and you must work the dogs on the level that they work. And the philosophy of Nepopo is that the desire must come out of the dog. So you must do it with as less as animosity of possible. So the idea of doing things must come out of the mind of the dog. If it comes out of the mind of the dog, the body will follow. Mm. It's easy like that. And I'm happy, and Michael is also happy, if we see videos that are based on the same principle. The only problem of that type of dogs is because they are having an open mind, they become stronger and stronger. And we see that also the danger of the system is that the dogs are out of control and too strong. Mm-hmm. So, and that's why on seminars where there is a little puppies, we tell people, hey, push him on his ass, push him in down, push your hand onto the belly to make him stand, grab him in his neck, give a little bit physical contact because a dog needs physical contact also. It's not, I give you a treat, you give me a ball. You never see that when dogs play together. When dogs play together is, I steal your food or I push you away and I fight. And there is always big body contacts in uh, in dog training. So the big danger of the system where the dog controls is that he is so strong that he really thinks he's the boss. Mm-hmm. And that can be a very tricky situation. Well, it's generally fatal for dogs these days to show those personalities Mm. because they just Mm. knock them on the head. Yeah. That's the problem is rather than work in a system like you're just describing where they can condition them very early as young puppies, 
They say, well, now I've got the problem. How do I deal with it? Well, I'll get rid of this dog. Just go to the vet and get the new puppy and start yep. all over. That's a problem. Well, and that's what Michael and I try to teach people in Nepopo school. Huh? So we did see that in the beginning we were focusing, focusing a lot on shaping, shaping which give free thinkers. Of course, that's the type of dog that Michael and I do need. Mm-hmm. But as a professional, if you must train a dog for Joe Bob that never trained the dog, you must try to figure out what type of personality. Would it not be better to maybe go to the old Nepopo? Not for the dog, but for the family. Yeah. And at the end, for the dog, because he can stay in the family. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So there is a lot of parameters flying around there. But of course, our background is working dog. Working dog for the working dog industry. Mm -hmm. But you must change or imply the system, Nepopo, in whatever you do. Well, that's that's a great place to talk about. I, when I'm trying to explain Nepopo to people, they say, oh, that doesn't apply. Like, I... I don't have a Malin- Malinois and I'm not competing in anything. I've got a pet Labrador and I'm trying the explanation on, no, 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 this is a system for every dog and how it comes around. And one day we'll do a podcast about how I've applied that to, like I, we were talking about the other day about a... Aggression dog on the cat. Yeah. That was a very good example. Greyhound on the cat. And I, we'll do a whole podcast and talk through that whole step by step. But at the end of the day, the Nipopo system is about... It's a lifestyle. Yeah, but... In the, the finished picture is a dog that always does what you ask, but does it with heart and soul. Mm-hmm. Because I think there's loads of people training dogs these days that can make a dog do anything they want, but the dog looks like shit and feels like shit when it's happening. And there's plenty of people that can train a dog to do things and look flashy sometimes if the conditions are right, if the dog's hungry and there's no competing motivators. Or if you look to the picture, there is a lot of atomic bombs hanging around. Yeah that yeah. do attract the dog. The constant lure that never goes away. Yeah, or the constant distraction. Yeah. What we call the fatal attraction that gives the energizer to pump up. Yeah. Which is nice to look at. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But there's few people who have a dog that loves to do the work and will do it all the time no matter yeah. what. That's, yeah. the, that's the beauty of the system wrapped yeah. up in a ball. Yeah, yeah. And this is where I want to talk about Michael's current dog, Jax. Yes, so people look at her her and him together now and they go, wow, that dog's all the all the things that you spoke about with Zot and Thor, but he's not, right? He was brought into that. You had to bring that out of him. Well, let's say like this. To start, Michael has a dog, Jax. And why is it our dog? Because nobody wanted a dog. And I remember I was in a short period in Belgium and Michael was in the States and she said, hey, Bart, I can take Jax. Nobody wants him. Jax is a son of Thor. Mm-hmm. And mother's side, a son of a daughter from Atim from Jean Lopez, which is another very good bloodline. So the bloodlines are good. Yeah, how old is Jax? Jax is now five and a half. Five and a half years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, talking bloodlines, when you said that Thor is from a, a Cook Eyes bitch? Well, Thor is... It starts to be complicated. The stories okay. that I know. Well, don't worry too much. I was going to say, because people in Australia listening, is there's a, a, a Cook Eyes Aris was brought to Australia. It's heavily started Malinois here. Yeah. That people would know. A lot of people would know Aris, but they don't, probably don't know that he's from Cook Eyes as mm. well. Okay. So that's worth mentioning for everyone. But, but Tor, Tor was from Mike Ward's bloodline. Right. On mother's side. And that mother's side has been crossed, I think, with Cook Eye bloodline. Right. And Cook Eye bloodline were known 
to throwing sometimes the black shepherd mm -hmm. color. Well, Aris was a dark, a dark. He uh, was normal Mali, but dark. Well, they're very good looking, flashy Malinois. Yeah. It's, it's what we call the exotic look everybody likes in the Malinois today. Yeah. 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 That's typically for Kukai. So, sorry. Uh, Jacks, five years old, five and a half. Yes. So, uh, I remember, I think he was four, five, or six months old. So, like, and nobody wanted him, and he was still at the breeder, Ethan. Ethan, which is a good friend of ours. And um, he said, Michael said, well, should I take the dog? I said, well, why not? Because that dog was in Ethan's life at the moment that he had no time because he had to invest all his time in the dogs of the customers where mm -hmm. he's paid for. And, um, well, why not? And then she took the dog, and then... He was a little bit impressed by the environment in the beginning, but he was another, never impressed to eat. So he was always eating. Mm -hmm. And after three days, she said, Bart, unbelievable smart dog, and he likes to eat. He's a pig. I said, okay, that's what we want to hear. And then Michael did work on his ignition. I remember she always did put a bowl with food in the basement, and then she went in the basement, trained a little bit, technique and at the end of the training a full meal and after four or five days he did run in the basement and it is he did start to do all activities from himself and there the whole story starts again eh? when they start to do activities it's fun and michael trained that dog for i think 15 16 months without giving that dog one command the dog just had to find the game of the day and that dog was a champ in shaping games mm -hmm. if there would be a competition like shaping i don't say he would win it but it would be a big shot in that competition mm -hmm. and then i don't know why because jacks was a little bit our demo dog in the states also eh? because it's easy to talk but it's easier to walk what you talk yeah. by showing on a seminar and then people say whoa it must be feasible because they show. Well, you see, that shirt Glenn's wearing, cool story, show me a dog. That's yeah. our PSA club motto. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. it's nice to hear you talk, but what yeah. have you really got? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, and that's in the beginning when you are somewhere always good that you have an advertising tool with you. Not mm -hmm. a video, yeah, but a yeah. real live, live show. Um, yes. That dog there yeah. was my he was a glenn's pointing to a dog if yeah <laughs> we're an audio um, show <laughs> that's right yeah i'm showing bart but uh the, this dog up here harley he was my demo dog and that's uh -huh. he was the dog that created or gave me credibility as a trainer because when people would say see i mean when he was a young dog people just said oh he's a fucking disgrace you know he was well um he was very badly behaved and just a pain in the ass but as he evolved in training and that's when i was I had my passion and desire as a trainer. Like, well, I was just obsessed with training him. After a few years, people would just come up to me and saying, how do I get a dog like yours? How yeah. do I develop this training into my dog? But what they don't realize about yourself and Pat and other people who are successful in training or, or enthusiastic is all the time that you actually have to put into it. You know, you have to have the right dog, but you still have to do the work. There's yep. still a lot of programming has to go into it. Yep, the deep practice. Yeah. Exactly. Then, but Jack's talking about the right dog. He had no prey, right? Like he, he had no prey at all. Didn't like to bite. No prey at all. I think, well, not only that, but I think that as a young dog, he was double-sized. Mm -hmm. So due to the fact that he was double-sized, I 
suppose he was eating the most, and due to that he was lazy. And it's certainly not the typically rat Malinois that likes to move. Mm-hmm. Now he likes to move. So we'll post a video of that of some of Michael's work, some of the ones on oh, yeah. on YouTube with on our page that to would get be nice. an understanding of a dog that was lazy and no one wanted and had no prey. I'll and, put up some, some and, and very long giraffe legs yeah. that are not the best type of legs to move fast to the left and the right. Yeah. And we've got to put up the Entor videos too. Yeah. But I'll post the video of Jack's doing work now, the biting. Well, that fucker can bite. Yeah. And it's a nice dog because the whole biting is based on the unforced force fetch. Yeah. And I remember that the first day that we did introduce him to the bite, he was even not interested in the bite. And then I I took the decision, well, you will do a force bite then, my friend. Mm -hmm. And I just slightly choked them off on the choker, mm-hmm. it did by the sleeve. And from that day, as soon as he did, did see the sleeve, he was totally engaged. It was like for him, it was the missing gasoline. So he needed a little bit fire to find that. And it was not about excitement of uh, throwing the lure left and right. It was just choking him a little bit off, boom, it did fly in that bite sleeve. It was the IPO bite sleeve. I still remember which seminar it was because that seminar changed a lot in the dog. It was a seminar at the place of a Dr. Eric Serrano. And Dr. Eric Serrano is a guy that treats all the big American sport professionals to help them perform or to stay at their Mm -hmm. perform rate. And at his place, a lot of things changed. For example, the dog was always back tied and he was lazy and tame at back tie. And one day at that seminar, we hear a very deep bark. I said, huh? Whose dog is that? And then Eric Serrano came and said, is that motherfucker yours? Said, what do you mean? <laughs> well, it was a crazy dog that tried to bite me. He said, what did you do? I jumped backwards. So what did happen was there was a moment where Jack said, this back tie is now my property. And everybody that will come too close goes in the problem of the zone. And that dog did the spontaneous zone barking, zone defense. And of course, the training partner, Eric Serrano, (laughs) was totally frightened because he did not expect that. So he did release fear pheromones. And from that day... A monster was created on Bakhtai. There was no chiki chiki chaka needed. <laughs> you did do it. You cannot believe on Bakhtai. But there again, it's also a little bit in the bloodlines. Mm-hmm. The father, Thor, was a very strong Bakhtai also. Zot, very strong. They are zone protective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just on that chiki chiki changa that Bart said, mm-hmm. that's one of Bart's analogies for when you have to dance around to get a dog to initiate. Yes. Cheerleading. Yeah, cheerleading. Well, yeah. yeah so yeah. He's, he's got specific phrases I love. We've actually, we've got a page that Michael put together for NAPOPO students and um, we were just talking about it before we did the podcast of all Bart's favourite words that he, he says during his seminars and yeah, Chiki Chiki Changa is one of them and from kissing come fucking. There's so many. That's a good one. There's so many. We'll have to we'll have to like type them out on that. Yeah, on yeah the but this is also typically Flemish sentence that I try to translate in 
in English. Yeah. But in English, it's a no go. It's a, well. well. I remember at the seminar when would, someone asked about food and training with existential food. Well, what, what do you do when you turn up at a client's house and there's just a pile of food there for free? And you go, well, then you're fucked. Yeah. And, and in dog training, you must stay unfucked. Stay unfucked. And that, that, was, that was a T-shirt <laughs> within yeah, a week. T-shirt straight away. But yeah. that was not based on, uh, that was not based on Flemish sentence. That was more based on the sentence of the guy from New Zealand, your movie star that lives here in Sydney. Oh, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. Where he's, um, where Russell Crowe is a politician that is a liar, stinky bastard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And one that's of, all of them. Yes, yes. <laughs> and that's where he mentioned, in politics, you must stay unfucked. <laughs> i never forget that. That was a very good one also. Oh, if you stole it, we won't get upset about all the people that steal it off you. So. I know. Well, no, <laughs> There's I, plenty I, of people I, saying it now. I mean, it's like we have another strong sentence. Um, how can you make the donkey drink if he's not thirsty? <laughs> how can you make a donkey drinking that is not thirsty. Mm. It, it, it's not English, but in my language... We it's, it's similar where we say you can lead a horse to water, but yeah. you can't make him drink. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 But I know those sentences in Flemish and I translate them in English and it's a little bit exotic and funny. Yeah. And oh, some it. of them are hilarious. Oh, yeah. But like we forgive a, you. apocalypse on your face. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we forgive you being that you speak five fucking languages. Yeah, yeah. That's a mistake. But it, it's a little bit the creation of uh, playing with words. Eh? But oh, yeah. it, but it, to be honest, it adds with the fun of doing the seminar. Like yeah. it, it's mm. actually, you know, I think one of the enjoyable things about doing the seminar was some of your expressive words you use. Oh, yeah. It's, it's yeah. What, what I learned as a teacher, because I have a very strong background of teacher, school. As a teacher, your job is to be an entertainer. Yep. Whatever you teach, you must try to grab the audience. Mm. And if you have to grab them with a dirty joke, you must grab them. Mm -hmm. And if you have to grab the audience by making them afraid, make them afraid, but you must grab them. Otherwise, your job is hopeless. That's our philosophy on the podcast, but we use the dirty joke every time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Every time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very important. It's very, um, very important. So the last thing I just wanted to talk about quickly was your inventions and patents and things that you've got going at the moment. And, and people, I think, don't understand how much work and effort has gone into the development of the chameleon, mm. which you've mentioned a couple of times, but for people who don't know, is a, your particular brand of e-collar that is light years ahead of anything else on market at the moment, well, as well as the, the CTT and the pinch-pull collar, that, all those things. Well... Let's say like this, we over the years created a lot of things and a lot of things that has been copied and sold by other companies and not copied. There was no patent on it. So, I mean, why should they not do it? Mm -hmm. Then after a while, you become more and more. Well, there's another thing I must say that Michael and I were also in the beginning full of passion. You don't think about patents too much. You just go for your passion. And then you come at the age, and that's around 50, where you think, hey, hey, what if in five years I cannot train dogs anymore? Or what in five years if people say, hey, stay home. We have enough of your performance. We did find another piece of meat. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, and then you think, and that's the brother of Michael that told me that. In a conversation, he said, as a 
commercial guy, if you sell your dog training company, if you, the dog trainers, are not there, it's worth no shit. Mm -hmm. Because people will always link the company to the talent of the owners. Then I was thinking with Michael, well, 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 then we have a dark future. Because everything that we have is based on our training skills. And that's a fact. That means that in theory, if Michael and I do sell the Bart Bellon shop, it's worthless. Mm -hmm. Because Michael and I, yeah, well, because Michael and I did do the trademarking on the name, and that we learned by going around in the states. I never forget that Michael and I were doing a seminar, private seminar for an ex-military lawyer. Cannot find his name anymore. And he told me, guys, you must patent everything you have, and you must trademark your name. And I was looking to Michael, what is he mentioning? And then he said also, well, tomorrow I tell the whole world the same. And I even call it the Bart Bellon system. And because I trademark it, you cannot stay in your own system. And I'm saying, I'm looking to Michael, what is this guy what the fuck? telling us? And in fact, was the guy giving us a good advice? The guy was telling us, you must go for trademarks and you must go for patents. Mm. And the trademarking, it's what we did. So we did trademark the name, which we should have better done Michael and Bart Bellon, because in the name it was Bart Bellon. And then I, I received too much of the flowers. But that was a decision in the beginning. So, so we should have better have done that. But... Then we did trademark Sugar Bread and Whip. We did trademark Chameleon. We did trademark Nepopo. Yeah. Um, then we trademarked it not only in Europe, but in different places of the world. So there is a lot of money for a little company just to protect your own things for the day another company would try to cut you out of market for example you are successful in what you do you call it joe bob and one day there is a smart guy that say well i'm gonna cut joe bob's success away i'm gonna trademark joe bob without him knowing it and once it's trademarked i contact the person and say well joe bob to continue to continue your joe pop stuff you must now pay me a license fee mm. And that sort of shit happens all the time, right? And it, it'll it's come to dogs. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So that means that we were arriving in another world, a world where success has a price, and the price of success is copy and copycats. And it's hard, for example, to trademark a system. It's impossible because in theory, somebody else can call it Jiki Jiki Maka and just does <laughs> the same thing. And then it's the Jiki Jiki Maka system. Mm -hmm. And you cannot protect that. It's not patentable. It's not... Yeah, and you can't stop people training dogs no. how they like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can stop them calling it what, yes. what, what yes. they like. So that's already a big thing. So and then Michael and I already had a few times to stop people using 
just the trademarks. Nepopo. We had to stop them. A lot of things you cannot believe. And it always starts when it's a success. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why in the school, we only give the gold people the possibility to use the trademarks if we okay it. And that's fun, I think. And then we had already a few demands. And some people said, hey, can we Nepopo food? And then Michael and I said, well, no. Mm, doesn't fit. Doesn't fit. But the person was fair. He did ask it. Yeah. So, I mean, there is other things. And then most of the times we say yes. And trademarks. I come out of the family of lawyers and Michael come out of a family of lawyers. So on purpose for years, we stayed away from that lawyer crap. But now we are totally middle in the middle of lawyer <laughs> crap. Yeah. And you must do it that way or you are outblown by big companies you cannot believe. Yeah. So then... Uh, patents. Patents is the gambling by excess. It's the hope the patent lawyer sells to the end consumer. So Michael and I did invest a lot of money in patents lately. And the patents are all about the chameleon e-collar. To start with, the chameleon is an animal that adapts physically, visually, to the environment. For us, that name does fit perfect with the color we like. We like electronic color to adapt so that you don't see, is it the color? Is it the e-color? Is it the pull color? Is it the pinch color? Is it the normal color? So visual adaptation is important for us. And even more than that, we want the color that adapt immediately to the specific rules of the country or the state where you move in or out. Mm -hmm. And therefore, Martin Systems did work together and did develop a tool that can adapt immediately to the environment to be politic correct. Mm -hmm. That means that by pushing on a button, all the electricity goes out of the color but the tone and the vibration does stay in. That means that if I move from Belgium to Germany, I push on the delete kick. The moment I cross the border, and the moment I cross the border, my color is a tone, vibration, click, color only. And will stay like that until I bring my color close to my computer, I put a USB stick in my computer. I bring in my personal ID code and now I can reset the data like I want. Mm -hmm. Or vice versa. That means that in theory, you could train where you're not allowed to train. And when they catch you, you push the button of delete and they can never catch you. Or... In, in theory. In theory, yes. <laughs> or... You are a wholesaler and you want to sell e-colors in a market where you're not allowed. Well, you can tune all the e-colors that they are just tone vibration colors only. And you write down that it's forbidden to use the USB stick to bring in the electricity in those and those and those countries. 
so that the person that handles the product always washes his hands in clear water. Yeah. Well, I mean, it for a product in Australia where E. coli laws are by state, yes. um, it's a perfect in that e- example in that uh, – there's states where you can use them, states where you can't. And if you're in, if you're a sort of person that moves around, you can use that e-collar yeah. 100% legally uh, in yeah. a state where they are illegal by dropping out your, your yeah. electricity. And it, it, it's it's not like you just, for people listening, it's not like you just turn it off. It's gone. It can't yes. be used until yes. you reset the whole system, which yes. isn't something you can do on the move. It's a, a an admin task. It's a programming. Done. Yeah. Yeah. It's a programming. And there on that, there is some lawyers that say, well, but the tool is made so that it could be tricked and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. It's true. But if you interpret the same law the same way, or every car going faster than 30 kilometers an hour should be prohibited in the streets because technically they can go faster than 30 kilometers. Yeah, that's a perfect example. Yeah. It makes no sense. Yeah. All right. Well... How long have we been going for? That's a long, it's a long interview. Hour forty. Nice. Good. Well, but thank you very much for Good. coming on. I think we've covered everything, Glenn. Anything else you wanted to? I'm ecstatic, Bart. That number one, that you made time to come out here today. I really appreciate that. And I know a lot of people are very excited that you're going to be on the show. Pat put up a possibility that you might be coming, and already generated a lot of interest. So much appreciated. I know you're a very busy man. You got a lot on the go, and I always like seeing you anyway. So killed two birds one stone so from me it's a it's a huge thanks for coming okay it was my pleasure and thanks very much for being so candid explaining your story and mm. in a way that i hope people enjoyed sort of talking about it through the dogs that have people know you for along the way oh, yeah. um and so there's no more seminars oh, did something else you want to say no well there's so much you must say we we should do the podcast for three weeks non-stop yeah exactly right <laughs> well, next time you come back <laughs> no um next time you're back in australia let's uh let's do round two that's what i would like to say that very possible because michael and i have big plans that next year there will be no more silver in australia or no more in the world that from now on we will concentrate more for the gold people and maybe next year the last gold course ever for a few years so that the students that still can jump on the gold just do it yeah so for people there but no longer does seminars the seminars used to be like a two or three day event now there's just schools there's a silver school which is all theory and runs five days and there's a gold school, which is you have to have gone through the silver to do. And the gold school is all practical and goes five days. They're running out, right? We've, we're have we probably looking at maybe one more set in Australia this yes. year, later in the year. Yes. And there's a couple all over the world. So to look at those, uh, if you're in Australia, talk to me. You can get in contact with me, pat at mskennels.com. And in America, talk to, it's go to Michael. Talk to Michael. Yeah, talk to Michael. If you don't know, talk to Michael and she will tell you. So Michael and I don't do seminars anymore. Mm -hmm. We have enough gold students that can take over. We have a lot of demands and now we tell people, well, shop on the website and you will see all the people that do have the qualifications that you want and you can pick and cherry yourself. So we believe in a little bit free market economy. And some people are specialized in... Uh, man trailing and some people are in uh, specialized in raising pups and some people have their own specialities so everybody can find 
a profile. Fact is that Michael and I have a unique profile and that you can only have at a certain age. Yeah. That's the profile of experience. Mm-hmm. And a lot of time people ask too much experience from too young people. That does not work. So give those folks the chance to ripen their profession. And Michael and I, we see that already as some people go so far in their specialization by using Nepopo, we would never think about things. So we just gave them the right tools and they they do their investigation mm-hmm. in the future themselves. It's good. So if for seminars, people who have gone through the gold school, like me, Glenn, and many others, can teach that, but we can't qualify people in it. To, yes. to be qualified in the system and to then be able to teach it to other people but not qualify them, yes. you need to have gone through the silver and the gold school. And we're looking at, certainly in Australia, potentially only having that one more time. So, yeah, if you're interested in that, get in contact with me, pat at mskennels.com. Again, Bart, thanks very much for coming. And that's it. We'll definitely want to get you back on next time you're here. Absolutely. That's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. If you like what you're hearing, uh, please tell a friend, like, rate us and subscribe. Uh, And if you want to get in contact with us, you can do so via Facebook. I will create an album for this episode and have the videos and some of the photos. I'll put up the meme of me and my my dog biting me and me saying, respect my meat. That's it. Glenn, cue the music. Glenn, thank you, Pat. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. (laughs) Aussies, bye-bye. Ciao.